what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show uh i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall and we are back officially as the before and after show yes <laughs> uh, what a weird strange time it has been experimenting around uh with different formats for the show it was fun it was fun yeah i had a good time with it but i'm also <laughs> glad to be back i actually missed this format yeah uh, quite a bit after it was all said and done. What's it been? A couple months now? Yeah, since January. <laughs> yeah. So March, it's really starting to heat up, and there's um, movies worth talking about coming yes. out. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, uh, have you been watching anything? I honestly have not been watching a ton, um, and I haven't really been going to the theaters, because like you said, there hasn't really been anything to pique my interest. But we're kind of starting to get to a place where... Things are picking up. Um, but what about you, MJ? Yeah, um, I watched Dope the other night on Netflix. Oh. Um, Dope is the story about a group of teenagers who go to high school in, I want to say Inglewood, it might be Compton. Mm-hmm. But it takes place in LA, in a predominantly black yeah. uh, area of LA. And it follows this one kid who... He's a straight-A student, doesn't really get into trouble. He listens to a lot of 90s rap music. He dresses like the 90s rap scene. Mm -hmm. He's in a punk band with his other two friends. Like, he doesn't really fit the mold of, like, a college student or a, a high school student in his neighborhood. Yeah. And he wants to get into Harvard Law. But he ends up going to the birthday party of a local drug dealer because this girl he likes invites him. And from there, he ends up with a backpack full of drugs and a gun. Yeah. And it's basically like what happens when that kid ends up in that situation. Yeah. And sort of the misadventures that follow. Oh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it honestly, it reminded me a lot of The Big Lebowski. Oh, It kind of felt like a Coen Brothers movie just with black people. Yeah. Which is not something the Coen Brothers are known for having in their movies. Um... But yeah, I liked it. It was a little bit too long, and I thought it was super well acted. Um, Tony Revolori from the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, mm-hmm. he played Zero in that movie. He plays one of the friends of the main guy. He's great in it. I really want to see what uh, comes from that kid. The main guy, I don't remember his <laughs> name, but he's great in it. Yeah. Um, just, he's got a really interesting face and a really, like weird way of delivering dialogue that he makes work for himself so i'd like to see him in like these quirky quirkier movies yeah uh, that that seem to be playing to his strengths but i like that and then i saw zootopia yeah tell me about that zootopia is fantastic uh from a strictly story and character point of view yeah 
absolutely go see Zootopia. It's super well paced, super well plotted, super well animated. It is very, very muddy when it comes to the social issues it decides to tackle. We talked a lot about this off mic, but yeah. basically the movie tries to tackle racism, sexism, homophobia, and the drug epidemic all in a less than two hour movie that's aimed at children. <laughs> so it doesn't really work. A little ambitious. Yes. Um, <coughs> part of it stems from the fact that I don't like being necessarily preached at. Yeah. However, part of it also stems from the fact that if you're going to be doing that, that's your right as an artist. I never feel like an artist owes me anything Yeah. as a viewer, so I have to meet them halfway. But just pick one of those things and stick with it, man. Because <laughs> trying to cover all those is just so daunting. Because they are complicated issues, yeah. and you're trying to break them into like little bits for children to like understand and like have those deeper conversations with their parents. Yeah. So you want to be as concise as possible. And it is not on a thematic standpoint. However, the movie at the at the core of the movie is this like mystery. Yeah. And the mystery is super well thought out. It's really uh, that's really nuanced. It plays around a lot with the uh, like being a noir slash buddy cop movie, and I love both of those subgenres yeah. of like crime drama. So. <laughs> That's really good. Um, Jason Bateman is... This is my favorite performance I've ever seen yeah. Jason Bateman give. And I usually don't give a crap about that guy. But he's <laughs> awesome in this movie. He's really, really good at it. Um, yeah. And, and so the, the dynamic between him and Judy Hopps, the, the main buddy, yeah. they're really good in it. And it's super well animated. Like, the world looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a sequel to it. I think it's absolutely worth seeing. I just think some of the socially stuff is real, like, real hard and confusing yeah. to get through as an adult, <laughs> let alone as a kid. I think it would be completely lost on them. Is it heavy-handed with some of that stuff? It vacillates between. Um, <laughs> at the beginning, it, like, leans really heavy on a rape metaphor. Oh. Yeah. Um, in, like, the one of the first scenes of the movie, so no spoilers. Yeah. Uh, it leans really heavy on, on this, like... This thing that's supposed to be a stand-in for rape. Yeah. Basically. And so that's, like, pretty heavy. Heavy-handed. And it goes back and forth. Like, some of it's like, oh, that's, like, a cool way to do that. Yeah. And some of it's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get <laughs> it. You, you're pretty in my face with Okay. That. Move so, along. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it never compromises the story. Okay. That's So good. it's easy to deal with. Like, yeah. That's part of why I'm fine with it being kind of preachy is because... Mm-hmm. The story moves along. Like, the story's never compromised by that, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. So, like I said, it's, it wasn't created specifically for me. Yeah. (laughs) It was created for the artists. I firmly believe that artists create for themselves. Yeah. And so, as a result, uh, they made the movie they wanted to make. Yeah. So, and then it's my choice to accept or not accept that. Yeah. So... I'm fine with it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. Like, just on a technical, yeah. mechanical uh, level. Yeah. <clears throat> so anything else that you watched of note? Uh, No, that's it. We started watching 30 Rock. Okay. Um, Have you ever watched that before? Yes, it's like my favorite comedy oh, okay. show of all time. <laughs> it's like my second or third time through the entire yeah. series. But we... Have you ever seen it? Not really. I've seen episodes from it. So... I know the general set up the premise. Of, right. Yeah. On February 29th, it was a leap year. Yeah. 
and there's a leap year episode of 30 Rock. And I was like, well, this is my tradition, but this is the first leap year since that has uh, oh, happened. Okay. <laughs> so I arbitrarily made it my tradition. Yeah. So we watched that episode. Problem is that episode's deep into season six, which is the second to last season. Yeah. It doesn't have any bearing on the rest of the plot throughout the season. But it's so weird. So, 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 so weird. Yeah. That my wife was like, what is going on on this show? Oh. <laughs> so we just started it from the beginning so she can get accustomed to the weirdness. Yeah. It is crazy. There's a <laughs> subplot involving Jim Carrey playing in a movie called uh, Leap Dave Williams. Because <laughs> Leap Day William is the Santa Claus of leap day yeah and so leap dave williams is basically the santa claus but with jim carrey turning into leap day william instead of tim allen turning into santa claus oh <laughs> but leap day william comes from the mariana trench every four years to give children to turn children's tears into candy oh <laughs> so jim carrey grows gills in this episode <laughs> What? And it is bonkers. That's one of the lesser weird things that happened wow. in this episode. So my wife was very confused. Yeah. And so we, we started watching that over again. That's fun. Yep. But that's all that I got. I was going to ask you, this is kind of put you on the spot. I know we usually don't talk about trailers or trailer reactions, but I'm just curious. Did you see the new Ghostbusters trailer? Oh, this is a good thing to talk about. Yeah. I did see the new Ghostbusters trailer. <laughs> As did I. What did you think? I honestly, and I, and this isn't to be reflective of the whole movie. I mean, we've yet to see it, but I just thought the trailer wasn't good. Hmm. I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really leave me wanting more in like a good sense. It left me wanting more in like, can you show me some other stuff? <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I don't know, like what you're trying to do. Is this like a reboot? You kind of set it up like it's kind of a sequel ish, but yeah. yeah so I was kind of confused and just wanting to see more of the actual film. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't left wanting more or less like i just kind of saw it and i was like whatever and like <laughs> went about my day it didn't like it didn't excite me but it didn't like enrage me either like i just saw it and i was like that's all right i don't really care but that's kind of how i feel about the entire movie yeah some people are pissed about it and i don't understand that yeah like i don't know i mean there's people who are just gonna hate on it because they're like oh there there's females in like this you know movie that had male actors in it that's stupid but yeah i yeah although i will say that i think there's sort of a dangerous precedent being set around this movie where anytime someone says something negative about it they immediately credit it to that yeah they're like hate speech yeah, yeah. and it's like no i'm this would look stupid if it was a bunch of guys too yeah yeah it's not it's not like this that it's like women actors it's just it doesn't, for me, it just didn't look, like, cohesive and good. Yeah, I mean, I don't like Paul Feig's movies anyway. Yeah. However, it's also become hate speech to say that <laughs> because of Paul Feig. His Twitter account is just him calling, like, anyone who doesn't like him a sexist. And once you do that, you just have carte blanche to do whatever you want. <laughs> like, I think he's really dangerous, actually. Yeah. Um, And I might get a lot of hate for that, but, like, I didn't think bridesmaids was that funny yeah i've seen like half of it there are like two scenes in it that i really really liked 
But other than that, I was like, whatever, this is fine. Or like everything yeah. I've seen from him, just like, all right, I guess. Although he was a director on Arrested Development, and I love that show. Yeah. But yeah, his movies are they've never really done it for me. And I even saw it I saw Bridesmaids. It's the only one of his movies I've seen. Mm-hmm. I saw Bridesmaids with a female friend of mine and even she was kind of like, Alright, I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that good. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good. It was just kind of like middle of the road. Yeah, and that's how I feel Ghostbusters going to be. Like, yeah. I don't feel like it's going to be like a train wreck, but I don't feel like it's going to be astounding either. I feel like it's just going to be like, that happened. Yeah, I don't feel like it's going to live up to like what the other previous movies were. So Yeah. Yeah, but I also don't think that anytime you remake a movie that tarnishes the legacy. Yeah. Like, I don't believe in legacy tarnishing because <laughs> Blu-ray and streaming exist, so I can just go back and watch those and be like, these are good. Like, that's, yeah, I can discount this other one. If anything, I think it, <laughs> I think it, it, um, it polishes the legacy because, uh, to use our favorite example yes. of the show, Jurassic World... My biggest praise for that movie is it made me think about how good Jurassic Park was. Yeah. That's all that movie did is I was like, this is terrible. Man, Jurassic Park is good. Man, I'm going to go watch it. Yeah, exactly. And then two weeks later, we watched it at your yeah. place. Like, if anything, new <laughs> Ghost- Lady Ghostbusters is going to be like, man, Ghostbusters is so good. And then I'm just going to go watch Ghostbusters. Yeah, be like, Bill Murray is really good. Yeah. Let's oh, go. man, he's really good in that movie. I'm not like a huge like cult of Bill Murray guy. But yeah. He's really good in that movie. Yeah, he is feel like some of the casting in this one it'll, I'll, it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out because i watched the trailer and i was like okay like kristen wig kind of doing her thing and then like melissa mccarthy kind of doing her normal thing and mm-hmm. i don't know the other two actresses that leslie, well leslie jones and kate mckinnon Mm-mm. um i think i don't know too much about them i know people really like kate mckinnon yeah i know people really don't like leslie jones oh. so yeah but there's like i don't know like there's like an exorcist joke in the ghostbusters yeah, trailer, yeah. and it's just like oh oh good i'm glad someone's doing a parody of the exorcist <laughs> that's good no one's ever done that before yeah like it feels real tired yeah and it's like even just the beginning, <clears throat> it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, it sets it up like, is this a sequel or like, yeah, because it's like 30 years ago or whatever. It's just like New York was saved from like, you know, paranormal activity or whatever. And then we cut to them and then it's just like, that's just the strand is just kind of left. So I'm like, is this like a reboot or is it like, do they have access to like the Ghostbusters like previous technology or like what like what is going on here? So the rumor <clears> that <throat> I heard is that each one of the Ghostbusters original Ghostbusters guys filmed a part for the movie. Oh, in case they decide which like so they can decide which way they want to go with that. Oh, so they haven't decided yet whether or not <laughs> it's a sequel or or a straight up reboot. What do you think it should be? I. It's gotten lots of hate so far. Yeah. Um, I think because of the way the trailer was cut, it needs to be a sequel. Yeah. I think if they would have left out the 30 years ago, the scenes from the firehouse from the original. Yeah. You could just have it be new Ghostbusters and that's fine. Yeah. But because they set that up in the trailer, I think they've locked themselves into that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they haven't <clears throat> because they may or may not. Yeah. But I think they should. There's just really strange choices surrounding this movie. Yeah. Um, 
namely why it needs to exist at all. Like I don't like <laughs> I don't understand why like why we need a new Ghostbusters anyway. Because MJ, it's 2016, and we need to relive the magic of Ghostbusters. I guess I will say I really liked all the ghost effects in the trailer. Yeah, it looks sweet. Yeah, I was like, that is exactly how Ghostbusters ghosts should look with 2016 technology. Yeah. Yeah, I am actually super on board with the ghosts in this, uh, yeah. in this, in this iteration. I think they did that really, <laughs> really well. Yeah, I feel like this movie... And this might be my kind of jaded opinion on some things in the industry and industries at large. But I just feel like it was kind of like, what is something that's beloved and cherished in kind of like, you know, the halls of film? Okay, um, let's see. You know, Jurassic Park, they've already done that. Okay, Star Wars, that happened. Okay, Indiana Jones, they did that one too. Um, Ghostbusters, okay, we haven't done that. Let's see what we can uh, do with this. Yeah, that's true. And I think that uh, we actually need to circle back around to this when we talk about the movies we're talking about today, because I think that this is, there's 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 interesting things happening with the way franchises work, yes. but I don't want to talk about that too much before we hop into <clears throat> the, the movies we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's good. Thank you for bringing that up. <clears throat> I've been wondering how to address that, and I think on the podcast is the best way to address that. Yep, head on. Yep. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the before and after show film school. Yes. Instrumental transition. Welcome back everyone. And if you listened to, uh, the previous before show, so not the last episode that just came out, the one before that, you know, we started a new feature called the before and after show film school. Corey, what is the before and after show film school? It is a new segment that we have added to the podcast, which essentially MJ and I will take turns being student and teacher, um, where we share with you guys kind of just different aspects about film, whether it be history or different things about like film technique or different like uh, aspects of film. And it's all designed around the whole concept of wanting to help you guys like watch movies better. And this isn't like from a condescending like standpoint of like, oh, we have all this knowledge and like we're going to talk down to you. It's more of like we just want to share with you guys so that way you'll be able to experience maybe films or genres of films that you never would have like been able to appreciate. You'll be able to look at them in a different light and be able to, you know, like, oh, I want to try watching that type of movie that I never would have wanted to go look at before. Yes. And the way this is this kind of works is um when we do a new topic, um, we'll kind of give a brief history of that topic and set up a movie we're going to be watching related to that topic. And then two <laughs> weeks later, so that you guys have two full weeks to watch the movie that's been assigned, yeah, we will talk about that specific movie. So it kind of keeps in the tradition of before and after. Mm-hmm. Um, and last time we talked about silent comedies. Yes. And this is sort of the first history lesson style Uh, before and after show film school. And there are three main schools of silent comedy. There's Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, and Buster Keaton. We're probably not going to be talking about Harold Lloyd. He only has one film really of note called Safety Last. It's definitely worth checking out. It's crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) It's almost hard to watch because of how dangerous all this looks. Yeah. (laughs) But it's available on Hulu if you have a Hulu Plus account. Um, but the, 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 we started off with, 
a man who is widely considered the the pioneer of silent film, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Yes. And we talked specifically about a film that he wrote, directed, produced, composed, narrated, and starred in. Renaissance Man. <laughs> uh, called The Gold Rush. And The Gold Rush had an interesting history because it was released in 1925 mm-hmm. and then re-released in 1941 where it had been just cut by 17 minutes. Yeah. And... Charlie Chaplin had completely rewritten the score for it and added narration instead of title cards with the silent movie, like, uh, fonts and stuff like that. So there are no, like, traditional silent movie title cards in it. It's just a narrator talking over the movie, doing the dialogue for everyone in the movie, including the women. Yes. Um, And that's also Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. So, Corey, this was your first experience with a... We'll still call it a silent film. Yeah. Um, so what did you think about The Gold Rush? It was it was very interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, and I say that in a interesting, in a positive light, not like interesting, like, oh, showing my disdain for it. But it was very like interesting and fun to watch. And I think one of the big things I noticed was we had talked about last time, um, was there's a lot of things in here that have been recalled or redone mm-hmm. in cinema or just any type of film that they're very apparent, like, oh, this is where it started. Yeah. So I was very much, like, on the lookout for that. And, yeah, there's tons of stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, since this is film school, I was taking notes. Oh, that's as awesome. I, as I watched. And so we can get into <clears throat> some of the specifics of that stuff in a moment but yeah it was just really cool to see a lot of those things it's like okay that that's this is the genesis of all those things or that this is why like directors implement that idea or this is why that became a thing yeah and i think it lends itself to going back and revisiting this movie it feels very modern mm-hmm. like it didn't really feel besides you know the <laughs> four three aspect ratio yeah. and the, the black and whiteness of it all it didn't really feel too much different from watching any other like slapsticky comedy movie yeah because let's face it every slapsticky comedy (laughs) movie is because of charlie chaplin Mm -hmm. so seeing seeing this movie again i'd seen it once before it's like it's pretty wonderful man like i had a really good time watching this movie it was pretty fun yeah there's just so many good like he's just such a good physical comedian yeah and there's just like really fun like set pieces of comedy that are really fun to watch like Big Jim stalking him around with, or Big Jim and, and uh, oh, the guy's first name is Black. I don't remember his last name. but Yeah, the other, the, the criminal guy. Yeah, the criminal yeah. guy, like, fighting over the gun. And, yeah. Like, the, the lone prospector, like, trying to get out of the way of it. But every time he, like, moves around the room, they, like, face that direction yeah, with the barrel of the gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I thought that was great. Uh, the scene where Big Jim thinks he's a chicken. Yeah. I thought was fantastic. I thought that was so funny. And like the chicken costume was the most realistic human sized chicken costume yeah. I've ever seen. It was insane. I was like, wow, man. I mean, watching this, some of the stuff I wrote down, um, cause I was looking for like, these were the things that I've seen like done and other stuff. And mm-hmm. surprisingly, I've seen a lot of this stuff like, and I know this will kind of pseudo date me, but back when I was younger and like I'd watch like Cartoon Network and they do reruns of like mm. Looney Tunes and stuff, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of this stuff in those cartoons. So that was like my first like it come to mind. It's like I've seen this before yeah. in like you know a Looney Tunes 
you know, cartoon. And it yeah. makes sense because, you know, like, a lot of those, like, animators, you know, this is, like, these are the things they would have been studying when they're coming to, like, animate. Yeah. So, yeah. so a lot of stuff, like, so when they're in the cottage, like, you know, when they're cooking the shoe, like, oh, you know, yeah. eating that, it's like, I've seen that before. Or, like, the chicken costume, like you mentioned, like, when it's kind of, like, you're starting to go crazy, and it's like, they look like food. Yeah. And it's like, this, this was the first movie to do that. Or, like, the whole, uh sequence at the beginning when they go into the cabin it's like they keep opening the doors and the wind blows through and stuff i've seen that done before too um the the whole concept of when what is her name um gwendolyn no uh uh, no is it with an m the woman the female georgia georgia Georgia. there we go um when i think it's the first time she comes to the little tramps like second cottage that he swindled from the other guy to watch or whatever. Mm. And, like, she's like, yeah, I'll come back. And she leaves, and he gets super excited, and he, like, rips everything apart and oh, does all yeah. the stuff. And then it's like, of course, she forgot her gloves. And she comes back, and she's like, what's going on? I've seen that done in a ton of other stuff. You know, someone gets yeah. super excited, and they, like, break stuff, and the person comes back, and they're like, oh, hello. You know, I've yeah. seen that before. Um, and then I guess the last major big thing that I noticed was the whole edge of the cliff sequence with the house. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so, so much of this stuff, I'm like, man, I've seen all of this in cartoons before and in other, like, films. Yeah. So, it was just crazy. Yeah. But what's so cool about mm-hmm. it is, like, witnessing the genesis of all that, like, yeah. it still feels really fresh. Like, yeah. because you're able to contextualize it of, like, mm-hmm. oh, this was the first, like, time this joke was Yeah, it's like, I'm, a, I'm in... I'm an audience member in the 1920s when this is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And so it feels like if you can do that with your brain, you can like, it feels really fresh and you could definitely see how like in a theater, this would play like super well because it's so much fun to watch and he's so good. And uh, I think one of the big ones you, you didn't touch on was him doing the dance with the rolls. Oh yeah. That was another one. Yeah. Like Benny and June is a movie that I loved as a kid. I, Mm -hmm. I, I like it now, but uh, it's a Johnny Depp movie, and he does that at the beginning of the movie. And I remember oh. when I was a kid, I loved that movie because of that scene. And <laughs> then I saw the Gold Rush in my yeah. home class, and I was like, "What? Like, yeah. dang, that's so crazy!" Granted, in that movie, uh, Johnny Depp's character is obsessed with Buster Keaton and silent films, oh. so of course he would know the role dance from the Gold Rush. Yeah, but yeah, so that that was like a huge touchstone for me as a kid mm-hmm. was was watching that role dance, but. Gosh, Charlie Chaplin, man. He's yeah. so, so good. The My favorite scene in the whole movie is he goes to a dance hall. And yeah. that's where he meets Georgia for the first time. And he starts dancing with her. Yeah. That whole sequence is great, especially when he's, like, standing directly, like, uncomfortably <laughs> close to her. Yeah. And she's like, someday I'll find a good man. And, she go, and the narrator's like, and Georgia looked... Yeah, and, looked, and like the little tramp standing right there, and he's just like side eyeing her, like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's me. Notice me." The look on his face is so great, and then he ends up dancing with her, but his pants keep falling. Yeah, out. so he hooks his cane into his like back belt, yeah, loop and, and he's uses like holding that. it up, yeah. And then he finds a piece of rope and he ties it, and like then it turns out to be attached it, to a dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's so like it's so clever and inventive, and like really funny and like the way that scene escalates is really really cool Mm -hmm. like it's really well paced yeah um as far as like a comedic bit and i think that's like one of charlie chaplin's two biggest strengths as a comedian is Mm -hmm. um his precision 
Yeah. Um, and, and we'll see this on the next silent film mm-hmm. we'll watch because we're going to watch a Buster <clears throat> Keaton movie. If Charlie Chaplin is precise, Buster Keaton is crazier. He's oh, wow. way more precise than, than Chaplin. But there's a pre- there's a certain precision to the to the timing of his jokes yeah. that really, really works. And I think that's why they've stood the test of time. But there's also... Um, there's an optimism to Charlie Chaplin's comedies yeah. that is really like I'm really appreciative of because the little tramp doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't yeah. have a lot going for him, and he does have to boil his shoe and eat yeah. it and <laughs> split it with Big Jim, and Big Big Jim makes him eat the the sole with all the nails. In yeah, it. but he's still happy. You know, he's still a happy guy that loves life. Yeah, and there's like. That, that optimism is what defines him. And that's why there's kind of the multiple schools of like, Chaplin was the optimist. Harold Lloyd was the daredevil who was due just like any crazy thing. And Buster Keaton was the sort of melancholy deadpan guy. Oh. Um, a lot of Buster Keaton stuff, when we watch it, you'll see a lot of Bill Murray in him. Oh, okay. Um, just really like, he, he doesn't emote a lot. Yeah. Uh, his face kind of stays the same. Whereas Charlie Chaplin is like really big with yeah. his emotions. Yeah. And, and, you know, he gets really excited and really happy and like, he gets like kind of cheeky about some stuff and like, you know, he'll like pat people and like make sure they're okay or like yeah. when they're on the ship at the end, he's just like bothering Big Jim and like... Yeah, like poking him with his cane. And, and... like getting really giddy about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Chaplin was like the happy-go-lucky guy mm-hmm. from that school and that's because he grew up like loving, entertaining people. Yeah. Like, he grew up in entertainment and loved entertaining people. Mm-hmm. So, did, did you like your first experience yeah, with the Silent Film? Yeah, I, I did. And another thing I was going to note, just going back and, you know, I've seen clips of silent films in the past, but to actually sit down and watch a full silent film, granted, it's kind of remastered, so there's, like, a voice track and stuff. But I just, I was a student of, like, seeing how much we can tell a story even if it's comedic you know without words you know Mm -hmm. people talk about or even us we've talked about some films do a really good job of showing and like not telling Mm -hmm. and like just going back and watching a silent film it's like that's really all you had back then you didn't have dialogue i mean like you kind of had the title cards to kind of like move the scenes but but if you rely too heavily on those that makes for a boring silent film yeah so you are completely bound by the visual storytelling yes yeah and i just was impressive like how much you can do and like reminded like wow that's you can really show a lot even though like dialogue is really important and you know i there is a lot of value in that and they need to mesh together it's like there's a lot that visual storytelling can do yeah and so you know you can have the problem sometimes where you are telling the audience too much and it's just like just shut up and like show me yeah and it was just kind of like a nice reminder of how powerful that is yeah and like keaton is a huge student of that you'll see that in the next film we watch Keaton, he figured out that the average <clears throat> title cards per silent movie were about 220, I think. Oh, wow. The <laughs> most title cards he ever had in any one of his silent movies, 57. Wow. Yeah. So Keaton, like, really knew how to tell a story of it. Yeah. Um, which is why I say he's he's the master of precision. But yeah. Chaplin is, like, 
he's the guy who looms large over everything, you know? Mm-hmm. He's the original, like we talked about in the last one, he's the original indie yeah. uh, director, <laughs> writer, producer, star, composer, yeah. narrator. <laughs> like, he did it all. And, uh, yeah, I just, I love Charlie Chaplin, man. Like, there's basically <laughs> not a movie industry without that man, so... Yeah. <laughs> I think by default, we owe him a bunch. Yeah. And he's and, very talented. Yeah, he got blacklisted and was banned from the United States until he died. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think... <laughs> I think they uh, brought it back, like, they retracted that. Yeah. But then he was like, well, screw you guys, basically, yeah. <laughs> and never came back to the United States. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Chaplin's story is really interesting. There's, if you want to know more about Chaplin, uh, look him up online, obviously, but there's a really um, fascinating biopic called Chaplin, mm-hmm. where Robert Downey Jr. plays Charlie Chaplin. Oh, wow. And he is great in it. The movie's kind of whatever. There's some really good, like, fun facts about Chaplin in it. Yeah. But there's, like, it's pretty whimsical, too. So, like, the, they show the scene where he comes up with the little tramp character, and it's just, like all the things in the proper house magically float to him and that's oh, how he okay. comes up with the uh, little tramp yeah. character. And it's like, well, that probably didn't happen. Yeah. But there's also like, I think they do a really good job of like showing his directing style and like how he did want to be in control of everything. And like, he was like a big, obviously a big proponent of, as an artist, like you have to have a singular vision that's 100% your own so he controls every aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. And I think it's proof that uh, given the right personality type, that can work. A lot of people talk about, oh, well, George Lucas was able to go crazy on the prequels and that's why they yeah. suck. Yes and no, I would say. <laughs> because, like, Chaplin was in control of every aspect of production on almost every single one of his movies. And most of those are great. Yeah. So it can be done. I think it's more of a personality type. Like, yeah. George Lucas doesn't have the personality type to be in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. Chaplin did. Yeah. So I think that that's where the, the difference lies. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, there's nothing in the gold rush that I would be like, Oh, that doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Or that's not, that wasn't like a good choice. You know, it just, it, it all feels really organic and natural. Yeah. It feels like it all flows together. Like everything, like, storytelling the way stuff is like set up for shots the music Mm -hmm. i was just like i just kept sitting there and being like he did like all of this wow (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah and so the storytelling is really interesting because (laughs) there is a main plot to the movie but it's told like in very like vignette style yeah very like individual portions yes of it all and like doesn't really start kind of intertwining until the end yeah and i I don't know. That's so. It's just so weird to think about that because of how we're used to movies playing out. But it makes sense that you would have to do that with a silent film. Yes. Like you have to give it to people in chunks, mm-hmm. or else they're not going to be able to process it. Yeah. So yeah, that's like that's one of those like silent era things where it's like kind. Of, that's like probably the most jarring thing. Yeah, it's kind of hard to like wrap your brain around it completely. I was I was like trying to. I was trying to sit there like I mentioned and be very much like. I'm watching this in 2016, but how do I look at this if I was in, like, you know, 1925 when the silent film came out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to, uh, <laughs> the the first time, I, I had to watch it twice for, yeah. for the podcast because I started watching it and I wasn't super into it. Yeah. And then last night I was like, okay, my phone's dying, I'm going to charge it in the other room. And yeah. so I left it on the charger and I was, like, able to sit and, like, absorb it. Yeah. And got a lot more out of it. Mm-hmm. And I knew I would because I got a lot out of it the first time I saw yeah. it. But I was in a classroom setting where I had to have my phone away and like yeah. was forced into being a captive audience. It's way easier to be distracted at home. So. Yeah. 
it's best if you are going to do this, like, put the phone away. Yep. I know you're used to having it by your side. Go put it in another room. You seriously yeah. need to be, like, focused. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's also worth it. Like, I think it's a really fun, entertaining yeah. movie. Still. And it's short. It's, like... Yeah, less, it's, like, it's a like little a, over an hour. Yeah. So it's not, like, a crazy time commitment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it goes by pretty fast. Yeah. And it's paced really well. And there's just, like, some cool things to get out of it. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah, and it's super mm-hmm. fun, and it's, like, really funny still, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, like, raunchy or, like, crazy, dirty or anything, but it's still really, like, fun and funny to watch. And yes. He's just, like, just watching his physicality is so... Yeah. So, so good. And then there's other stuff where, like, oh, yeah, that was before effects and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a real bear. Yep. And he just kicked that dog because no one cared about animals in 1925. Yep. I kind of wondered about that. I was like, it was a different time. Yep. Yeah. So there are like, you know, not as much as as some other stuff where it's like, hey, that was super racist. Or it's like, hey, they actually killed that animal in the making of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we revisited that. Yeah. That I revisited it and you were able to see Yeah, I'm glad I got to experience that and like just learn a little bit more about silent films. He was a short guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was okay. very, very small. I was taking note of that the whole time I was watching. I was just like, are they shooting it in a way? I was like, no, no, I just think he is a... Uh smaller yep but very spry yes as a yes, result like, yes that scene where he's like going crazy tearing apart the room because he's so ecstatic that they're gonna come back for dinner yeah like he does some like acrobatic moves yeah like, dang it's like wow yeah mm-hmm. cool um so yeah we'll be back in two weeks with another installment of this and it'll be uh the assignment and history yes. for the week. And Corey, you'll be teacher and I'll be student on that one. I will. And we'll be talking about an element of filmmaking rather than a historical piece yeah. of film. So Hope I'm you guys enjoyed this. It was really fun for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why we give you guys two weeks. This is an element of the show we really want you guys to participate in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we will very much like uh, let you know the streaming avenues you have. Yep. Or any sort of rental uh, avenues you have. If you want to do more silent film stuff, Hulu has a bunch of silent films, and Amazon Prime has a ton of silent films. If you have an Amazon Prime account, they have all of Buster Keaton's stuff. They basically have all the uh, non-Criterion collection uh, silent films that are of note. Yeah. So it's worth... And then a lot of the silent films are over 100 years old, so they're public domain, so they're available for free on YouTube. Oh, okay. So if you watch The Gold Rush and you're like, I love silent movies! Uh, and you want to watch, like, as many silent movies as you possibly can, good on you! Uh, but also, like, you have a ton of options available to you to to watch them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, The Gold Rush is available on Hulu Plus if you weren't able to watch it mm-hmm. uh, before this episode and, and you still want to listen to it and you do want to see the movie. It's, yeah. It's uh, readily available there. Both versions, I learned, are on Hulu Plus. Oh, okay. The 1925 silent version and the 17-minute shorter 1941 re-release. So, mm-hmm. If you want to watch both of them, you can. Uh, I only watched the one. Yeah, me too. And I feel like I got what I needed out of it. Yep. So, yeah. All right. We'll take a short break and get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Sweet. And we're back. Yes. And this episode is no longer the old format because Corey hasn't seen Memento. Nope. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> 
that is something I learned off mic, is that, Corey, you have not seen Memento. So go watch Memento. Oh, gosh, I love that movie. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Memento. No. We're here to talk about an upcoming release, finally. Yay! And that upcoming release is... 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so 10 Cloverfield Lane is the... Spiritual successor to yes. Cloverfield? Yes. So it takes place in the Cloverfield universe. Yeah. But is not directly related to the film Cloverfield. Yeah. So as before, uh, as is the normal mm-hmm. format for this, we're going to be talking about two movies. Yep. And we're going to be talking about Cloverfield, the original, and <laughs> 10 Cloverfield Lane. Now, we've both seen Cloverfield. Yes. However, I love Cloverfield. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it All uh, right. on the before and after show. Yes. Because I love this movie. So, uh, Corey, do you want to talk about your experience with Cloverfield? My experience with Cloverfield, I've seen it a couple times now, but my first experience is, I don't remember when it came out, but... 2008. 2008. I ended up seeing it in a college dorm room (laughs) Um, on a, I don't know, like 20-something inch TV, and... I remember liking the movie, but I was super disoriented as because to what it's was a found footage because monster. It's found, movie. <laughs> it's found footage. I feel like it probably does a lot better on a big screen, um, at least maybe for your first time taking it in. And I didn't know it was found footage, so I was super confused of like the storytelling and what was going on. Mm-hmm. And but I was very intrigued by it. And so then after after I saw it that time, I think like a year later, I actually got a hold of it somehow and saw it in like a proper condition, like, you know, like on a bigger TV and I was able to track more with it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like this movie a lot. So. Yeah. So like we established, the movie is a found footage monster movie. And yeah. it's about this group of uh, attractive 20 somethings who get uh, stuck in <laughs> New York City uh, as on the night of uh, this guy Rob's going away party. Yep. And he's getting ready to move to Japan for a job. Yep. And then all hell breaks loose, basically. <laughs> and a giant monster attacks the city. Godzilla? Uh, no. No. Not Godzilla. Uh, Clover is the accepted uh, name of the monster. And so <laughs> it gets attacked by Clover, which sounds yeah. uh, less intimidating when you put it that like way. Like a big cat. That's yeah. what they're all picturing. <laughs> a big cat named Clover. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be the best. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Clover is a giant uh, monster. With tentacles and... All kind of crazy spindly arms and you never parasites. Really, you never really see it. it, like, Yeah, you fully. kind of do at the end. Ish, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what Cloverfield is. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I love giant monster movies. Yeah. I was raised on a steady diet of old Toho Japanese uh, Godzilla movies. Godzilla 2000? No. Y- no. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, Godzilla 2000 is really good. Godzilla 98 is the oh, American version. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah. 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 With uh, Matthew Broderick. Yep. Godzilla 2000 <laughs> is the movie that Toho made to make up for Godzilla oh, okay. in 1998. Okay. Yeah. So. I was I like grew up a super fan of Godzilla. I love yeah. Godzilla. I have all kinds of Godzilla toys. Mm-hmm. I would tape them off the Sci-Fi Channel and yeah. watch them constantly. Like I had my stable of Godzilla movies that I would go through, and I just loved Godzilla as a kid. Yeah. So when Godzilla '98 was coming out, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, that's so crazy!" Like Godzilla in New York, and like 
he's gonna be like all like giant and like this like this era's special effects is gonna be so dope yep. and then it came out and I was like it's the first movie I can remember because I was <laughs> 10 years old it's the first movie I remember actively hating <laughs> I remember like realizing in that movie that there are such a thing as bad movies you're like this isn't good Godzilla was one of them oh because up until that point I just loved every movie because I was a kid and I was like sweet movies like I love movies and then like that happened and I was like oh movies can be bad I didn't know that there was so much promotion for that movie I remember and yeah it was a big thing and then you actually watch it and you're like wow this is not good yes where is Godzilla yeah he's like barely in the movie uh it's to the point where he is not actually that lizard is not actually known as Godzilla. Godzilla it is known strictly as Zilla and in the last Godzilla movie, they actually had Godzilla fight Zilla and kill him. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> it, that was in the last Toho Godzilla movie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, but needless to say, as a result, I have a huge soft spot for giant monsters. Yes. Uh, I even like Pacific Rim. I don't need to see Pacific Rim again, ever. Uh, it was it was fun. It's kind of stupid. <laughs> But I like that movie because there's giant monsters in it. And yeah. I'm just like, and I don't think we need a sequel to Pacific Rim. It's uh, coming. I know. I don't care. But <laughs> uh, uh, I just, like, I was, like, on board with it because giant monsters. Um, and giant mech suits, so, yeah. I, I was whatever I, about that. Um, <laughs> I really just wanted more giant monsters. I'd like more giant monsters and everything. Yeah. Just to, if we could go back and But just... not Jurassic World. <laughs> yes. Not <laughs> Jurassic World. Giant monsters, but not there. Yes. Um, so, and that is probably a reason why I love uh, Jurassic Park, though, is because of my young uh, fondness for Godzilla and, yeah. and stuff like that. And I was super into dinosaurs when I was a kid anyway, so mm-hmm. that kind of scratches, like, giant monster movies kind of scratch that itch of, like, oh, there are right. dinosaurs among us. Yeah. Um, so, needless to say... When I found out that Cloverfield was coming out, I got crazy excited. Um, I was also super into Lost. Lost is one of my favorite television shows of all time. Still mm-hmm. is. I don't care what any of you say. I think it's a good show. Uh, and so, like, in my brain, at that period of time, J.J. Abrams could do no wrong. Um, I was super on board with that guy. And anything he wanted to touch, I was just like, down into this. Uh, <laughs> There was this huge viral marketing campaign. Yeah. Like the, the trailer for Cloverfield came out and no one really knew what the heck was going on yep. because it was just like this found footage thing of like people at a party and then there was like some craziness that happened and then the like the Statue of Liberty head came in and you were like, what the heck is this? And there was no name, no credits or anything. Just said 11808. Yeah. And that's it. And so it's kicked off this huge viral marketing campaign. I had gotten super into viral marketing campaigns at the time because... I'm sorry I have such a long, complicated history of Cloverfield. No, that's good. J.J. Abrams ran a very complicated uh, viral marketing campaign for the second and third season of Lost, and I got super into that. Yeah. And then uh, between that and the Cloverfield one starting... The Dark Knight started a super long and complicated. Oh yeah, I remember that. Campaign, and I got super into that. And then while the Dark Knight one was going on, because they came out the same year, the Cloverfield one kicked off, and I was like, I love viral marketing. Like I'm into this. So yeah. <laughs> I was like on all the Cloverfield fan sites. I wrote all kind of blogs about it. Like I was super into Cloverfield. Yeah. 
And so by the time it came out, like my hype could not have been hyper. Like yeah. it was it was so like topped out. We went to the midnight showing of it, and I was not disappointed by this Yay. movie. Um Cloverfield is actually one of my top five favorite movie going experiences of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen to the show, you've probably heard me talk about number one and number two, which yeah. are the Dark Knight in IMAX and uh Drag Me to Hell at the crappiest theater uh in town. And uh, number three probably is Cloverfield at midnight with a bunch of people who were like either dragged there by their friends who were into the viral marketing campaign or into the viral marketing campaign themselves. Yeah. To this day, it is the single best mix I can remember hearing for sound in a movie theater. Oh, wow. Uh, I loved every second of this movie in a theater because it was so loud and... um, just like encompassing yeah except it wasn't overwhelmingly loud like i felt like i was in it with the characters but i I also didn't feel like my ears were gonna fall off like yeah i just felt like enveloped in the whole experience like i was completely immersed in what was going on yeah and the found footage it was the first time i had seen found footage in a theater i had only seen blair witch project at that point on vhs at home Mm -hmm. um it was the first time i had seen that in a theater and so it just like I was super invested in everything and like, yeah. watching it all play out. I loved I loved <laughs> that movie. So I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. Wow. Yeah, uh, I saw it three times in theaters, maybe four. I don't remember. And then bought it on DVD and watched it a bunch there. So headed into this new watching of Cloverfield yes. because I'm going to watch it again. Because why the heck not? Yeah. Uh, I'm still super excited. I still think the movie's really good. I think it's incredibly well paced. Yeah. Because it's only like an hour and 20 something minutes. Yeah, it's not that long. Yeah. Um, so what are you expecting out of a, a rewatch of Cloverfield? Um, I guess just like, I enjoyed the movie too. I thought it was fun. I feel like I mentioned earlier, the first time I saw it, I was really confused because... I think up to that point, that was the first found footage film I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And kind of some of the storytelling was jarring for me and like getting the whole plot. And since the first time I've seen it, I've seen it again. And so I do have more of a semblance of like, oh, I remember how it is. And we're, you're seeing different parts of like what's recorded on that camera. So like, yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, I was super confused by like the last scene. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, because it goes back like, to their date on yeah. Coney Island. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this that like what's going so anyway i have i understand that all more it'll just be fun to go back and like watch again i guess with a more critical eye because like i said the last time i saw it was like three or four years ago yeah yeah i'm interested <clears throat> to see if like having done this show for like a year and a half now <laughs> if it does affect my view i hope not because i do truly love this movie <laughs> uh but we'll see i haven't revisited it in a long time um in a normal way, about two years ago, I watched it with Rift Tracks, but that's actively making fun of the movie, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't watched it, like, just sat down and watched it in a while. Yeah. But, fast forward eight years, uh, which is crazy to think about that this movie is eight years old now, mm-hmm. because that also means The Dark Knight is eight years old. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but fast forward eight years, and... There's a a small, but I would say rabid uh, fan base for Cloverfield. I think those of us that love the movie or truly love it, mm-hmm. um, that wanted a sequel. And yeah. And we are not getting that. Nope. But we kind of are getting that. 
<laughs> so this Friday, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane comes out. And 10 Cloverfield Lane is, like we said, the spiritual successor. Yeah. J.J. Abrams is calling it the relative to Cloverfield. Yeah. So near as I can tell, uh, it's just about these three people in a bomb shelter Mm-hmm. And it's a nondescript white guy, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Ramona Flowers in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one of my other favorite movies of all time. And John Goodman, who, what the heck, like, just yes. put John Goodman in anything yeah. I'm going to go see it. But then you make it related to Gloverfield, and I'm super on board. Yeah. And it's basically just them in a bomb shelter hanging out. And uh, from the looks of it, John Goodman's a little cray-cray. Yeah. And that's all we got. And this trailer came out at the end of January 2016 and announced a March 11th release date. They released the first trailer less than two months before the movie Mm -hmm. even came out and just kind of like slowly released it. And was just like, here you go. It's happening. Yep. So I remember, I specifically remember I was working two jobs at the time and I was sitting in the drive-thru at In-N-Out. Yeah. And I got on my phone in the drive-thru on In-N-Out. And I just saw three posts in a row that were like, new Cloverfield, new Cloverfield, new Cloverfield. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no idea this was happening. Yeah. It completely caught me off guard. There's a new viral marketing campaign that's been in full effect. I oh. haven't been as keeping up with it. Um, but the, the, the short version of it is, in the movie, they show characters drinking this stuff called swamp pop swamp mm-hmm. pop is a real product uh we got some swamp pop for our wedding it's oh. actually pretty good craft soda oh and it shows them drinking swamp pop and doing a puzzle yeah well certain people who looked into swamp pop started noticing oh the swamp pop uh website says you can order an end of the world kit that is supposed to come with supplies to help you survive the end of the world. Oh. And it's like so many hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it's yeah. all sold out. Yeah. And so I ordered some normal Swamp Pop, and I happened to be getting puzzle pieces in my packages of Swamp Pop. Oh. So uh, some astute uh, Swamp Pop orderers found out that they had puzzle pieces, and they put it together and found a picture of the Eiffel Tower. Oh. Yep. And uh, so that's all I know, basically, about the viral marketing campaign. I haven't really looked into it beyond that. But there is yeah. a new viral marketing campaign. So if you want to look into it, you can. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, like, CloverfieldNews.com is, like, a website. And, like, mm-hmm. and, and the, as soon as the trailer popped up, those guys were like, we're back at it. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's been super fun. Uh, yeah, I'm so stoked for this movie, man. Like, <laughs> I, I just... I love Cloverfield. And yeah. I think this is such a cool idea to like expand that universe yeah. and kind of give it a sequel, but not. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I need to gather my thoughts for a second. So what do you think about? No, I am. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I don't have a story of a history with Cloverfield like you do, but I'm interested to see an idea and a franchise. And this will kind of like, tie back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. <clears throat> I'm interested to see an idea or a franchise that I feel like has a lot of potential to grow 
has a lot of potential to grow and it's not just a retread of something that we've seen before or it's just like hey we need to like make money so let's go grab this thing that is really popular and people respect it and try to make it like new and shiny and not really try we just want to make money it's good to see a property adapted and like we're gonna see like a kind of sequel but not really a sequel and it's just more of like expanding the universe it's not just like we're gonna make a ton of money i know like money is a component in there but it doesn't seem to be like it seemed it doesn't seem to be like money first in this equation and so that is kind of refreshing to be like okay like cloverfield didn't necessarily necessitate a sequel i mean i think it was it was mildly successful right yeah um for the most part especially for like a mid-january release like it's a really solid mid-january release yeah yeah but it wasn't like something like so wildly successful you'd be like well that's definitely going to get a sequel so it's kind of cool to see that this is going to be expanding and i'm i'm interested i don't know like a ton I i knew like less than you has just told me i didn't even know about the eiffel tower thing so oh yeah I, yeah, I just kind of knew it was, like, the three of them in, like, a small, confined area. So, it'll just be interesting. I was, I watched the trailer, and I was like, who is kind of the protagonist slash antagonist in this? And is there, like, an outside force that's playing into this? So, it'll be very interesting to see how it's... it's is it found footage again? It's, it's not. It's not. Yeah, that was another thing. I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Yeah. Um, that's the big, like... That, and I've been kind of hanging on to this piece of information... Um, that's the big thing with this. This movie didn't start out as the Cloverfield sequel, and that's why they're calling it the uh, the 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 relative mm-hmm. to Cloverfield. This movie started out as a post-apocalyptic drama called Valencia, and uh, I guess somehow word got around to Abrams about the script, <laughs> and he read it, and he said, "This is a really good script." If we produce it, let us kind of slip a Cloverfield skin on this. Yeah. And you get, and we'll fund your movie Valencia. Yeah. Basically. So, what I think, like, what's <laughs> so fascinating to me about this entire movie is that it didn't start off as uh, a planned sequel. Yeah. Or successor or whatever to Cloverfield. But it was its own thing. It was a solid indie script. Yeah. That was having trouble getting funded. Got funding by allowing his work of art to get absorbed into this larger franchise. Yeah. That's Cloverfield. And it makes me wonder if that's a way to get indie movies back into cinemas. Because right mm-hmm. now the indie indie movie distribution model is you go into a handful of art house theaters you go same day VOD release, same day yeah. DVD release. That's how you get an indie movie distributed now. But with Ten Cloverfield Lane, they've made this indie movie because if this movie just came out as Valencia, I guarantee you that would be the release model for it. Same yeah. day VOD. You know, you got John Goodman in it. You yeah. got Mary Elizabeth Winstead. They have name recognition, but it's not going to sell a bunch of tickets. Yeah. So you take the audience that would be excited for Valencia. And then you take the audience who's been clamoring for a Cloverfield sequel, you combine them, and now you have an audience that's going to put butts in seats at the multiplex. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a fascinating, fascinating way to distribute new indie movies. Yeah. By just sort of, like, like putting, like, the spice of an existing franchise into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that might be, like, a way to go from here on out. It might be. Uh, I'm super fascinated to like, regardless of the quality of the movie, I, I think it looks good. 
I'm just in so, so interested to see how this plays out because yeah. I think it's a cool risk to be taking. And the reason I want to get out and see it is because I obviously love Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. I really want to support this risk. Like, I think that's such a, like, cool decision to be making on, like, J.J. Abrams' part. And I know, like, especially yeah. on the podcast, <laughs> like, um, I have a back and forth <laughs> with, with J.J. But I think... I think at the end of the day, he is a fan of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the biggest flaw in Star Wars is that it's basically a Star Wars fan film. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, he genuinely loves Star Wars. Like, that's why it, you feel it. And yeah. you feel yeah. it when you watch the movie. Like, yeah. and, like the movie, like, I, I wasn't crazy about it yeah. when I first saw it, but I definitely was like, well, that didn't come from a place of, like, hatred. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's how I felt about his Star Trek movies. And that's how I feel about this. He... Not only just loves those existing franchises, he loves making movies and producing art mm-hmm. and giving other people the opportunity to yeah. uh, do the same thing. And so I just think this is a risk worth taking and worth supporting. Yeah. And, you know, it, he's kind of one of those guys like Steven Soderbergh who did the mm-hmm. Ocean's Eleven movies yeah. and um, Contagion and stuff. Steven Soderbergh isn't a guy whose movies I love all the time. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy whose movies I see every time I have an opportunity to see them because I always think he takes a new interesting risk every time he makes a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think J.J., not necessarily <laughs> as a director, but as a <laughs> producer, takes new interesting risks every time he produces a movie. Yeah. So, you know, the first Cloverfield, J.J. didn't direct. Matt yep. Reeves directed. Matt Reeves turned around and directed... Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and it was my favorite movie of 2014 because that movie's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think he's got a good eye for spotting talent, and yeah. I'm super excited to see. I don't know the the writer director's name on this movie off the top of my head, but I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, and how this all plays out. I'm just it's such <laughs> a this is like science experiment cinema release. Yeah, to me. like I'm super on board with it. Yeah, it kind of seems to not be in the formula that we see nowadays where it's either like cash cow on something of the past or just kind of like the annual, like part of this franchise is coming out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's this like, it's <clears throat> this like weird hybrid version of that, but also with a franchise <clears throat> that doesn't have like a crazy huge fan base, yeah. but also with <clears throat> a writer director that doesn't have a crazy huge fan base. Mm-hmm. And like, let's see how we can make this situation mutually beneficial to yes. both of us. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's a really, at the end of the day, good or bad, I think it's a cool business decision. Yes. And no one else is trying stuff like this, so why not? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, might as well. It makes sense to me. Yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. And JJ has also said that the Cloverfield monster is not in 10 Cloverfield Lane. However... The movie's getting released in IMAX. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that all hope is lost for a giant monster. Yeah. Because as much as I love John Goodman, I don't need to see him in IMAX for two hours and then have credits roll. Yeah. If you're going to release it in IMAX, something big's got to happen. Yeah. So I know he said Clover won't be in this, but he didn't say no monsters are going to be in this. There's going to be a monster. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's getting released in IMAX. Do you think... I I, I was kind of rolling this theory around in my head... Do you think this is going to be set, like, it's in the same universe? Do you think it's going to be set, like, the same time? And maybe, like, Clover was just one of the monsters attacking, like, for whatever's happening if the world is ending. 
And do we know, like, where this is taking place, like, you know, geographically? Um, I don't, but that doesn't mean that that hasn't been revealed. Okay. Um, so I don't know off the top of my head. So, like, you know, Cloverfield was in New York, and, like, right. what if this is, like, you know, in Washington State or something, like, the other side of, you know, the country? Right. And so it's like, oh, it could very well be, like, the same time period, but, like, a different monster, a different place, and that would kind of be a very easy, like... Oh, they're under the same umbrella. It's like kind of the same thing happening. I think that would be kind of cool. Yes, I do have a little bit of a theory of that. They're mm-hmm. clearly in a bomb shelter, and it's clearly after some stuff has gone down outside. Yeah. And if you remember Cloverfield, it ends with New York City getting nuked yep. to kill Clover. Yeah. So I think it's going to be somewhere like Massachusetts or Maine, like somewhere rural Yeah, is what the setting looks like. But somewhere where, or even upstate New York, that's like super countryside. Yeah. Somewhere where the nuclear fallout of the nukes that landed in New York has reached. Yeah. And so (laughs) my two theories are that there's either more than one monster Mm -hmm. that's come out, or the nuclear fallout has actually mutated Clover. Clover into something else. So those are those are my th- two thoughts right now, but that could be totally wrong. I I tend to th- agree with your former because I saw that I was reading some about the movie yesterday, and I saw that the writer on Cloverfield had mentioned that like if we were going to expand the story in any way, because a whole bunch of people clamored for sequels, you know, of that fan base. He was like the only idea that had really struck him was like there's that one scene near the end of Cloverfield where they're trying to get away from Clover and like. The guy with the video camera ends up seeing the other guy with the video camera on the bridge. Do you remember that scene? I don't remember that. He kind of looks at him and like they both see each other in frame and then that guy ends up getting knocked away or whatever. The writer had talked about, I'd love to like look at the same story from like a different lens or a Mm. different perspective. And so I could see it being like, these guys are in a bomb shelter like in upstate New York in the country someplace. And this is still kind of the same story, but, like, we're seeing it slightly differently. Yeah. So, yeah, I could totally see that happening. Yeah, um, there's a lot of mystery and intrigue surrounding this, and, and you know, J.J. Abrams has his whole mystery box <laughs> theory, and... I, don't open the mystery box. Yeah, I don't... You know, I was super on board with it when I was young and naive, and after the way his last couple movies have gone down, I'm not as on board with it, but... Now that he's, like, producing this, I'm wondering if maybe, like, the mystery <laughs> box is really good when you're a producer, not as good when you're a director, because you do need to tell people things. <laughs> so, I, you know, as as much as I go back and forth with JJ, I'm still, I'm still always optimistic when he gets involved with something. Yeah. And I guess as much, uh, as jaded as I've become on the mystery <laughs> box, I think, I also very much, like... I get excited when he knows how to play the mystery box well. Yeah. You know, and I just think on his last couple directorial efforts, he hasn't played the mystery box card very well. Yeah. And so I think he finally is again with this. Yeah. So I do still think he may need to abandon it, but I'm also down with Cloverfield Lane doing it. So (laughs) I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, but... I'm I'm real excited about Ten Cloverfield Lane. I just really hope it doesn't suck. Yeah, that's I'm gonna be really sad if it's kind of. I think it's gonna be good. So one one last thing to like wrap up for people who this isn't their type of genre at all, or they're like found footage or horror. Why would you encourage them to go watch Cloverfield and then subsequently Cloverfield Ten Cloverfield Lane? 
I would say go watch Cloverfield. Honestly, if you don't like found footage, you're probably going to get motion sickness. Yep. But if you're still kind of interested, sound design. I think the sound design in Cloverfield is incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the sounds of the bullets, they sound super real and super organic. Um, The sounds the creatures make are all like real creepy. Yeah. Uh, I also think there are some really good set pieces that use the found footage. Now... There's a little bit of weird stuff in that the camera basically seems to be infreaking destructible. Yeah. But there's one night vision scene in a subway tunnel with these parasites that come off of Clover that is straight up horrifying. Yeah. It's like real creepy. That would give you a nightmare. Yeah. I love that sequence. Um, But if you're not a lover of horror, I don't know what to tell you on that (laughs) one because there's there's not a lot of like horror quote-unquote elements to it but that part in particular i feel like this might be a better entry level horror-ish film yes you know because it's not like really gory or it's not like it is kind of intense but it's not like that kind of like manic intensity where it's like around every corner around all these things like that you're completely on pins and needles you are like there is like a there is some of that kind of throughout the film, but I don't feel like it's so overwhelming where you're like, I, I'm going to have to turn this off. Yeah, yeah. There's a good push and pull with the tension. Yeah. Like building, 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 release. Building, 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 release. Like yeah. there's, there's ups and downs. And I like the characters. Uh, a lot yeah. of people don't, but I think they're super believable, like 20-something New York people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was the world's introduction to T.J. Miller mm-hmm. um, as HUD, the man behind the camera. And I love him in that movie, and it made me a T.J. Miller fan, and now I'm able to watch him on Silicon Valley every week. And so, like, being able to track that guy's career from, like, just being in Cloverfield and the guy (laughs) you never see except for, like, one time when he cleans blood off the camera. Yeah. uh, To, like, getting nominated for Emmys. That's been, like, super interesting to watch. Uh, It also introduced us to Lizzie Kaplan, who I also love. She's a really good actress. Um, But, yeah, I think the characterization, like... um, and pacing of the movie is really good because mm-hmm. it's like 20 minutes at the party and then boom an yeah, hour is, of monster yeah. stuff yeah like and like an hour of like super confusing that that clap was going to be real loud on the podcast <laughs> uh, uh but like uh an hour of them running around like doing stuff with the monster and it was this kind of back-to-back thing where we got that in 2008 with Cloverfield and I thought that was like really really well paced where it was like okay you got in you did your 20 minutes you did an hour of stuff and then you got out yeah. the very next year we saw the same formula happen with Taken Taken oh, came yeah. out in 2009 and that movie I think is a perfectly paced action movie where it's like 20 minutes set up girl gets taken boom yep. action sets off it's an hour of Liam Neeson knocking heads yeah. and then it's over Yeah. Um, so I think there were like back two back to back years where we got like perfectly paced correct length movies yeah (laughs) um that fit like the found footage slash horror slash giant uh monster movie genre and then the action movie uh genre so i think they're uh it's really tight it's a really tight movie yeah and so to watch like really good like plotting and and pacing yeah uh, is another reason to watch it so there's a lot of like uh mechanical reasons to watch cloverfield i think yeah yeah i i would say like along with all those I would, even if you're not like a fan of horror, I would say still give this film a try. I'm gonna convince. I'm gonna try to convince Hannah to watch it. I don't think she's ever seen it. Um, but I just think like for all the stuff that you said, and it's just kind of like 
It's one of those found footage movies where I really feel like you are kind of, like, with the characters. Mm. It doesn't, like, I know it's found footage, but I don't feel like I'm, like, okay, I'm actively aware that I'm watching this on a camera that somebody found, you know? I feel like once it starts rolling and it's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of happening. I feel like I'm there with the characters. And so I think just for that experience and then, you know, all the stuff that you mentioned, like the pacing and the characters, I think that stuff too. But you just really get enveloped in the world. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, it's a really immersive movie, I think. Yeah, and I think that is the reason that I would recommend trying to at least, you know, watch it. And then, you know, I don't know, like, how you feel about if you might get motion sickness or whatever but that's that's why i would tell you at least give it a shot because you really get immersed in the world and you feel like you're there with the characters and i think that's cool yeah definitely so yeah uh, i think that'll do it for this episode yeah um you can follow me on twitter at mj smith 891 and you can follow me um on Twitter at Cat in the Hat 49 You can follow the show at Before and After Pod. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. Uh, email us, beforeandaftershow at gmail.com. Uh, comment on SoundCloud. Subscribe on SoundCloud. Like the Facebook page. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review there. Yep. It helps get us visible on the charts. So if you haven't done that, uh, please do uh, recommend the show to your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you all for listening. Yes, and we love you guys. Realsy, for realsies this time... Until next time, go watch Cloverfield. Yes. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>